With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. We're the Houston Oilers. Houston Oilers. Houston Oilers number one. Yes, we're the Houston Oilers. Houston Oilers. Houston Oilers number everyone you're listening to battle red radio i'm matt weston and this evening i'm joined by andrew potter with football outsiders how are you doing this i guess it's this morning i'm always used to doing this at like 9 30 or whatever the sun <laughs> yet but how are you doing this morning slash afternoon andrew <laughs> well it's afternoon for me i'm doing very well thank you good to be here matt yeah, I'm excited to talk to you. And if you don't know who Andrew is, he writes over at Football Outsiders, and you should know that. And also, if you you should have already purchased your copy of the Football Outsiders Almanac. And Andrew wrote both the Jaguars and the Colts chapter this year, so he's like an honorary uh, AFC South you member after writing these two chapters. And so it's exciting to talk about him, talk with him today about uh, the Colts, not the Jaguars. We already got that portion of the preview done. <laughs> yeah um i've actually written about every team other than the texans over the past three years in the in the afc south but um we'll get to houston in a couple of years time i suspect yeah if rivers ever gives that up you know i'm sure he keeps it he keeps it close to his heart something that he probably doesn't exactly want to do every year but he continues to do it, and i think he likes it in some sort of you know sick way probably yeah some kind of uh yeah masochistic yeah, it's always a, it's always a fun chapter to read though. Um, so last season of the Colts, I you know I, we did this preview and we spoke to some I, with Stampy Plues like the the Colts SB Nation site, and the guy was a madman. He said the Colts were a twelve and four team with Andrew Luck for sure. So like, what's the big difference between him and Jacoby Brissett? And they were of course win ten games or whatever. And I had some concerns about that just because I didn't think the Colts did ver- did a whole lot last offseason. And they kind of banked on their own scouting department to make the team better and their own internal development. And um, none of their picks that they had last year in the draft really made an immediate impact on last year's team. And then the second thing was that, you know, Brissett kind of showed again that he's a very good backup quarterback, a, you know, like a replacement level starting quarterback, but not somebody that you want starting year in and year out. So the Colts didn't improve. They weren't a 10-16. They weren't a 12-4 team. Um, and they went seven and nine. And so it does seem like Chris Ballard kind of learned from last season and actually used free agency to try and improve the roster this year by adding Phillip Rivers and then made the big trade by sending a first round pick for DeForest Buckner, which I think he was probably able to do by collecting so many second round picks over the year. And he also signed Buckner to a massive extension as soon as the trade happened. Um, so I think like talking about the Colts this year, you can kind of navigate it by talking about those two uh, big free, big offseason decisions, and we can start with the one with Philip Rivers first. Um, so lot, this is gonna be Philip Rivers' age 39 season. Last year, age 38, he threw nine less touchdowns, eight more interceptions. His yards per pass dropped by 0.5 yards. He fell from third to 15th in DVOA. His deep pass to touchdown, his deep pass touchdown interception ratio 
changed from 10 to 6 to 5 to 12, and he averaged 2.2 less yards than attempt on deep passes as well. Um, so what was the difference between Phillip Rivers from 2019 and 2018 when the Chargers were, of course, a divisional team who got you know, absolutely torched by the Patriots in 2018? Um, I think the thing with Rivers is time has been getting to Rivers for years. Um, age has been has been catching up with him, and, and he's been um, noticeably declining in terms of things like arm strength, velocity on his deep ball, and relying more on these these big contested catch outside receivers guys like um, Mike Williams. Mike Williams was a great pick for the Chargers, the impact he's had there. Um, but Keenan Allen's that type of guy as well who's going to make those contested catches. Um, but the thing with Rivers is he's always been smart enough to kind of compensate for the physical drop-off. Um, he, he's great at like getting to the right play, um, finding open receivers, making those adjustments that he needs to to make. Um, but the downside to Rivers has always been turnovers, has always been, he's got this legendary competitive streak. Um, I, think, I think we're all familiar with the stories of like trash talking Philip Rivers and, and how competitive he is in that. He tends to, to throw interceptions when he's chasing a comeback, trying trying to get the team back into the game. Um, and if you look at his worst seasons by our figures, other than 2007, which was only his second year as a starter, they've all come on teams that have had losing seasons, um, whether that be in San Diego or, or Los Angeles. Um, it's been throwing a lot of interceptions, trying to get the team back into the game. That was, you know, 12 through 15. Um, last year, he threw 20. Um, and he had a career high 21 in 2016. Those are all teams that, that were like 5 and 11. One of them was 7 and 9. Um, teams that should have been competitive, that weren't competitive. And Rivers trying to keep them in games and throwing throwing a lot of picks. So um, there, there's some of that going on there. Um, the biggest thing for me about last season is is the decline in touchdowns. Um, he threw the fewest touchdowns he has since 2007. Um, he threw five fewer touchdowns than he has in any other season since I think 2012. Um, so that for me would be where where the concern is. Um, but as far as tight times getting to him, you, you can see the times getting to him, but he's still in that top half of the league, um, getting toward the top third of, of starting quarterbacks, even at 39. And I wouldn't expect to see that change drastically next season compared to last. Okay. Yeah. And I know like I learned this from Rivers cause he used to write for, you know, Bell Red blog of, you know, of course, retro football outsiders and, in 2014, whenever Matt Schaub fell off, one of the things that he kind of talked about that year is that, well, whenever you have quarterbacks who are you know, just above average or you even really good and who aren't like, you know, great, or if you want to use the word elite, that, you know, kind of gives you, makes, has that like a resounding sadness or kind of grossness when you hear that word elite. But, you know, whenever they're, they have such a high margin of, of, uh, of error that whenever you have like a really great quarterback who drops off, like his drop off from being like the best to like the ninth or whatever, they they have more room to drop off as they de- as they decline. But whenever you have someone like Matt Schaub or Jake DeLome or Joe Flacco, 
they don't have that same level of drop off. So whenever the arm strength starts to go or the mobility starts to go, then they they don't have like every they were never at a high enough peak to be able to you know hang hang and deal with that decline. So whenever they lose it, they really lose it. And so with Philip Rivers, like do you think he's like even as he's entering like his late his late thirties, early forties, like do you think he's great enough of a quarterback and has the type of skill set where he can be like, you know, Drew Brees or Tom Brady or Peyton Manning who are able to, you know, succeed uh into the early thir- early forties like that? Or are you expecting like this to be a continuous decline? Could you see him having some sort of like out of nowhere, awful, terrible season in Indianapolis? Um, or do you think he has a couple of years left in the tank? Um, I think for for most of these guys, we're kind of into uncharted territory here. Most guys don't play the length of time that the likes of Brady and Breeze have played. Um, and that some of that's improvements in strength and conditioning. Some of that's improvements in like understanding workloads and and some of those effects on on these older players. Um, the first thing I, I kind of want to say is Rivers is a great great quarterback in his own right, and and I, I think a lot of people kind of under underestimate Rivers because he's been on the Chargers, and the Chargers haven't been a well run franchise for a long long time. Um, going back even to to when they they got rid of Marty Schottenheimer and replaced him with with Turner, um, which I mean if you're if you're looking to change head coaches, I would be going the other way on that one, um, before I would I would consider replacing Schottenheimer with Turner Turner, um, and the lack of postseason success for for Rivers mainly comes down to playing in the same conference as Roethlisberger, Brady, mm-hmm. and Manning. Um, at, at any other time in history, you know he's 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 in the top ten for for all time passing yards and for touchdowns. He, he's he's a great great quarterback. Um, he's not, I wouldn't say, in a quick decline. He is in a, a steady decline. Uh, he's certainly on the the tail end of his career. I don't necessarily expect him to to play next year. Although he and Frank Reich have both talked about wanting him to, to be there next year as well. Um, I think this is very much a testing ground for you know, what, what happens this year will dictate what happens next year. Um, Manning's an interesting comparison because Manning, after he moved to Denver, after he'd had the neck surgeries and everything, he, he was never the same physical specimen that he was in his prime with the Colts. Um, he never had the same arm strength again, um, but he was smart. He had a good support and cast. He had confidence in his support mm-hmm. and cast. He would get the team to the right play. Um, he would make the smart decisions. He would protect the ball. And it wasn't until he then took a further injury in Denver um, and that, that the wheels really came off. And it ended up being very much the Broncos carrying Manning to, to that final Super Bowl and to kind of sunset send-off. Um, Rivers, I think, compares reasonably well to that version of Manning. Again, without having the same peak, he was never quite on, on very, very few people are ever um, Manning's level. And I don't think Rivers was quite there, but he, he certainly is great enough to, to, um, to continue to play well through the declining phase of his career. Um, he's not like Schaub, where as soon as he loses that little bit of athleticism, 
that's kept him in the league, he suddenly can't make any of the throws and he's getting picked off for a touchdown every other game. And um, I, I don't see that being quite the decline that, that we would see for Rivers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think a lot of people kind of forget that you know, Rivers is a really great quarterback and he's going to be a Hall of Famer. And you know, maybe if his one possession record luck flipped, you know, people think of him a lot differently. Or if he even just had, you know, maybe one or two more uh, years of postseason success, I think people think a lot bit di- a lot differently about him as well, too. But I do like the comparison of like Peyton Manning's Broncos. I don't think it's going to he's going to be that level of quarterback that Manning was, you know, his first two years in Denver. But just like the arm strength is really similar. And it's one of those things that, like, the ball moves faster than the body, but the brain moves faster than the ball. And so, like, one of the things that Rivers is great at, like you mentioned, is his ability to understand the defense, you know, pick and pop, find open receivers immediately, um, find, you know, throws downfield immediately. And he and he throws a really great touch as well, too. And so, like, even with, with like, a deteriorating arm, like, yeah, he's not going to throw, you know, from the opposite hash, a deep comeback, but you don't really have to make those throws at all. Uh, if the offense isn't yeah. designed for it too, you know, and uh, and like the, again, like the arm strength, you know, really kind of looks similar to Peyton, where it kind of looks like he's throwing a plastic bag instead of a football sometimes too. <laughs> sure, and and arm strength is one of those things where there's a base level of it that you need to be a starting quarterback, mm-hmm. and then anything after that's kind of gravy. Um, it's it's a bonus. You can have a really strong arm and be an idiot, and you're never going to get anywhere. Um, you can. Um, be a very smart quarterback and not have enough arm strength. And again, you're not going to get anywhere. But as long as you've got that fundamental, um, that that necessary level of physical ability, um, then if you're a, a smart enough player, a clever enough player, then then that's all you need. And it, again, any any of any additional arm strength there is going to be a bonus rather than necessarily a, re- a prerequisite. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think clever is a good way to describe Rivers' like intelligence because like he is crafty, and then but also I I think kind of like the big thing about him being in India. I think one of the things that Frank Reich maybe do. I do think Wisenhunt ran a good offense for him, but if I think the biggest thing for Rivers this year in Indy with their run game that they have, and you know how like at least above average their defense is probably going to be. Um, and also like with their easy schedule and playing in a division where they don't have to win, you know, 12 games to win the division or anything is the fact that uh, if they can just get him to stop throwing the stupid interceptions, you know, like some like it's it's bizarre because it's like nine for five percent of the time. You're like, that's a genius throw. That's a great read. It's a, it's really is remarkable how quickly he reads that and gets this ball here or how he holds, you know, the linebackers and gets some deep to carry the seam and then is able to find, you know, Austin Eckler with nobody like 15 yards around him. And then out of nowhere, there would just be these like throws where he's just looking through a safety or he's throwing something like downfield that over travels like, you know, two of his receivers and goes to a free safety 15 yards past him. And I think like if he can cut, you know, cut mo- cut the majority of those throws, I think his interception still could drop by half this year. And if he does that, I think everything else would fall in place for, you know, Rivers to be, you know, at least like a like a fringe top, like maybe like a, maybe like the 12th best quarterback in the league, at least this year, if he can cut those awful mistakes. And again, like he doesn't have to play the same level hero ball that he always had to play with the chargers over the course of his career. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree with that. I, I think certain nine, that nine to 12 range is a realistic expectation. Um, and obviously he could, he could easily fall slightly inside or slightly outside that. Um, but I, I would certainly expect like nine to 12 to be a, the top third of the, 
of starters to be a, a reasonable expectation for him. Yeah. Okay. Um, so Rivers playing in Indy, there's a few things that I like about it. Uh, one, I think him playing with Frank Reich is helpful. You know, he's played for him before. Like you mentioned, the FOA, who is his quarterback coach, and whenever he played for the Chargers in San Diego. And again, like I think Reich is is a is a head coach who is good diminishing mistakes that a quarterback makes. Like he was able to drop Andrew Luck's turnovers. He was able, and like Brissett was too cautious, but I think Philip Rivers and Reich will be a good blend of the two of being like aggressive, but also just like making the offense kind of kind of like a lot easier and having him to do a little bit. Uh, not having to do as much for them to win games and to in general. And also I, I can see him throwing like whenever you watch the Colts play, like it seems like a good offense for rivers where he can run play action, throw a lot of crossing routes, throw a lot of like corners. Like they don't run a real vertical offense. So he doesn't have to throw like, you know, a lot of stuff down the sideline, that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, the second thing is they have a really good offensive line. So he's going from a bottom five offensive line where you saw everybody from you know, Trent Scott playing left tackle uh, <laughs> to Scott Tevy playing right tackle to even Pipkin playing left tackle. Kuhn couldn't play it all last year. They had to play Pouncey. They played Quest and Barry. Yeah, I thought Feeney and Schofield were okay. Uh, they got worse as the year went on. They tried to play four slam finally again this year. He got hurt, and he was bad when he played too. But like a lot of, a lot of the mistakes you kind of see Rivers make too, it's like, well, in, in this, he won't have to make throws like that or – decisions that quickly because he's going to have time to throw and you see you you see things like max crosby like dominate entire game against the chargers you know and crosby's a very good like player but he's not he he doesn't have that same sort of play to play consistent impact again against offensive line the colts have and so i think also just by him having more time to throw the ball um with the colts and not having to be so like rushed and immediate like he was the chargers i think helped him as well too so like how do you like the individual fit of philip rivers playing in indy yeah, I, th- I think you've just done a, a good job of explaining. Um, Reich seems to be good at um, developing an offense that fits um, the quarterback that he has and not even necessarily one that the quarterback realized would be the best fit for him. Um, we look at the, the early years of Andrew Luck and the playing style that he had there to then the consistency and the... Um, the ball security that improved significantly once Reich took over and, and started coaching him there. Um, Brissett is conservative to a fault, um, conservative to the point where it really harms the team's chances, takes a lot of sacks, doesn't throw many interceptions. One of, one of the most interesting articles I read on Brissett was how he, he doesn't actually throw enough interceptions because he's not trying those mm-hmm. those risky passes that, that are, you need to be able to make in the NFL if you're going to have starter level success. Um, so race those guys who there there aren't that many guys who are really good at putting their quarterback in position um, in the best possible position to succeed. Um, th- there are a few. Um, Kel Shanahan is, is the best example, I think, right now. Um, Andy Reid, Greg Roman in Baltimore, um, and the success he had with Kaepernick in San Francisco, I think we, we can safely say that he's won. But Reich certainly among uh, the, the sort of bottom end of that group who are good at getting whatever the quarterback has. Um, and I think with Rivers, somebody who knows him, somebody who trusts him, if you look historically, the, the best in terms of completion percentage and efficiency, um, the best three-year spell of Rivers' career was um, that three-year spell 
with Reich in San Diego, where mm-hmm. Reich was his quarterback coaching then for two years as offensive coordinator. Um, Rivers wasn't quite as effective the two years that Reich was his um, was his OC, um, and it wasn't like in terms of explosive plays or anything the best spell of his career. But they consistently moved the chains. They consistently kept the completion percentage high, kept the mistakes down. Um, and that's the kind of thing that will will win games for, for Indianapolis. They don't need somebody who's going to come in like Tyler Murray and have to win or Russell Wilson and have to win games single-handedly because um, the offensive line's a mess or the receiver group's a mess or you know the defense is a mess. Um, there's nothing like that in Indianapolis. They need somebody who can get them to, as, as we've said already repeatedly, get them to the right play, get the right package in, get the receivers where they need to be, find the open guy, keep the chains moving. Um, and, and they've got good enough players that that will lead to points, that will lead to wins. Um, I don't think they're going to be one of the top teams in the league, but um, if, if this team was solid enough with Brissett, I don't see any reason to think they'll be any worse for Rivers. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way to put it. I, uh, you know, it's I always think like Brissett's like the anti Jameis Winston, especially when they played each other, you know, last year in the in like week fifteen yeah. or whatever. It's like here's a guy who's way too cautious. He doesn't push the ball downfield. Who is like kind of mobile, kind of like how Winston's not fast, but he has like he's good at breaking tackles and staying in the pocket. Whereas Brissett kind of tries to leave too early, and so it's just kind of fun. You know, like there's a complete dichotomy between the two. Um, the second, the other thing about Rivers, though, like it doesn't fit perfectly in Indy. And one of the things that you mentioned that made him so good in in the Chargers for those years, where he had receivers who could go up and catch his deep passes, where like he's just flinging stuff up whenever. Like Rivers does a really good job at whenever there's no middle of the field safety deep, whenever they hit, like run cover zero or blitz, or they somebody step up and play man um, from the safety position, or they like I said whenever they blitz, he's good at using those as shots to throw the ball downfield. And a lot of those downfield passes are him just like you're just heaving something up like immaculate where Mike Williams is able to go up and get it or Keen Allen's able to go up and get it. And so he doesn't really have that same set of receivers here in Indianapolis. You know, Paris Campbell's fast, but didn't do much last year. Uh, T.Y. Hilton's a like downfield receiver in a very different sense of it. You know, Zach Pascal's a big slot cornerback, but he doesn't run those same sort of vertical routes. But and then they drafted Michael Pittman in the second round, of course, and we'll talk about him in a second. But they don't have the same like level of uh, receiving talent that he had in uh, Los Angeles. And the second thing is that Rivers really relies on his running backs in the passing game. You know, whether it's Melvin Gordon, Austin Eckler, or Darren Sproles, or throughout the entirety of his career, he's had a lot of really good running backs. He's been able to dump the ball off to. And the Colts don't have that same level of receiving talent at the running back position. You know, Marlon Mack's not a great receiver. Uh, we'll see what happens with Jonathan Taylor. I think he has the possibility of being so. But again, being a rookie, who knows exactly how he'll fit in there at that. And then they have Naheem Hines, who's kind of more of a Philip Rivers sort of running back. Uh, but he's still yeah. a third string guy. And then whenever Hines comes in, like you know you're going to throw the football probably. And so it kind of simplifies things for a defense as well too. And so those are the two things that I see are like kind of not exactly perfect for Rivers, but I do think everything else is good enough. And also Rivers' you know, skill sets to begin with and his talent I think it will work out well in Indy. Uh, those are just like the two things I see that could you know, hinder him and maybe take him some time to get used to playing this offense because he can't do the exact same things he's been doing uh, for like the last you know like five or six years that he'll be able to do in Indy this season. 
Yeah, I think I agree with that. Um, there's there's a couple of those guys I think are are a good fit. Um, we, you, you said we'll get to Pittman in a bit. Um, I love the fit of Michael Pittman um, in in Indianapolis with Rivers. Um, I'm not quite sure how things will work out with with Ty Hilton. Um, obviously, he's a fantastic receiver, and they'll find a way to make it work. Um, but I'm not as persuaded by that because I. Just based on the physical profile that, that Rivers tends to prefer in his wide receivers. Um, somebody like Zach Pascal playing out the slot um, with, you know, six, six foot two, um, able to able to take those those kind of Dontrell Inman targets. I'm not as worried about the running backs because if you look kind of historically, Rivers has made productive receiving backs out of guys oh, okay. that that. In that operational on, um, I'm trying to trying to think of it. The, there was one guy in particular whose name totally escapes me right now. Um, that you know was a was a backup. Came in for a few games, caught a bunch bunch of passes, and we we kind of never heard from him again. He was a fantasy stud for for like half a season, um, catching passes from Rivers, and then that that was that. Um, and like Ronnie Brown had some success as a receiving back um, when they were in San Diego, mm-hmm. so you know he he can he can make that. I think Naeem Hines has a chance to be that guy. I don't think it's a problem for Rivers to have that level of predictability. Um, we've seen quite a few. Again, you know, um, I'm a I'm a Saints fan, and and we we look at Sean Payton has never been afraid to tip his hand. With his personnel packages, because mm-hmm. he believes that even if he tips his hand, he's still going to be able to scheme something that's going to work. I think Rice in in a similar category, where if he if he has to put Hines in to get receiving production, he'll put Hines in and they'll get receiving production anyway because they've got a smart scheme, they've got a smart quarterback. That um, they'll make that work. I'm, I'm not worried about that. Mm-hmm. That may okay. I see what you say. Yeah, I'll have to go back and kind of look at. Um, the receiving numbers that Rivers has had kind of in general, or like the the passing numbers he's had of running backs in general over his career, and kind of double-check that. Because I know like just thinking about the last two years and being really recent-oriented, you know, like Melvin Gordon and you know Eckler are like you know, really fantastic and some of the best receiving backs in the league. And I'll have to go back and double-check and see how, how he's fairly like, over his career with just kind of like anybody out there as well, too. Um, I just don't know, like, because like Eckler could do things like play wide receiver and just run a slant route against the linebacker, or you know get one versus one matchup down the sideline and hit a hit a fade route and you know score like that, that sort of thing too. Um, the other thing about Philip Rivers is that over his career, he's 58 and 71 in one possession games. Last year, the Chargers went two and nine in one score games, and you know they did everything from like against the Titans, for example, they had a, a red zone drive where they were stopped on. You know, first and one, and then Melvin Gordon fumbles at the one yard when they lose. Like they lost every single game that you could possibly lose, and it was kind of a yeah. typical Charger season. Uh, so, do you think this year, being in Indianapolis, do you think the one possession luck is something that is going to follow Rivers to Indianapolis, or is this just the case of the Chargers being a cursed franchise? Like, who's the who's the cursed one here? Is it Rivers or is it the Chargers? Um. Well, I mean, Rivers isn't the guy who misses the field goal at the buzzer. Rivers isn't the guy who fumbles at the goal line. Um, Rivers isn't the guy who catches an interception off Tom Brady on fourth down. Mm-hmm. All he needs to do is take the D, tries to run it back, gets stripped by <laughs> uh, 
you know that those things aren't rivers those, those things are are mental mistakes and i think that there's some teams have a reputation for those types of mistakes and one of one of the the interesting parts of say tom brady's legacy about comebacks and um you know wins and one possession games and and so on was that i think that there was a game against arizona one year where Stephen Muskowski missed a field goal at the ball that would have won it for the Patriots and they lost. And that was the first time that Brady had ever driven the Patriots down for a field goal last minute of game and the kicker had missed because he's had Vinatieri there, he's had Guskowski there, he's had this reliable field goal kicking and San Diego just never had that. Um, so the problem with one possession games and, and the Colts on the wall about one possession games, they, they had the longest streak of one possession games to open a season in history last year. Um, and they lost them in crazy ways. Um, again, you know, Adam Vinatieri come, comes up again, but this time negatively missing short field goals, missing extra points. Um, and, you know, they're, they're losing games that you wouldn't expect them to lose because of things that are outside the quarterback's control. Um, one possession games are, are usually essentially random, um, not not in, entirely random, but random enough that if you if a team's got a great record in one possession games, that's usually a sign that they're actually going to regress mm-hmm. the following season because you don't sustain that record for that length of time. And again, if a team's got a terrible record in one possession games, that's usually a sign that they're going to improve the next year um, because they're not going to have the same bad luck in in those tight situations. Um, Normally, the Colts are solid enough to avoid those mental mistakes, the the, the field goal misses, the stupid turnovers that that doom the Chargers. we don't know what it is about the Chargers. We've, we've tried to figure it out for years <laughs> what, what the issue is for the Chargers there. Um, but um, sometimes sometimes a coin just flips heads mm-hmm. eight times in a row. And you don't know why it flips a head eight times in a row. Um, if you are getting a perfect 50-50 split over 100 coin flips, then there's probably something wrong with your coin because that's just not the way the way that randomness tends to work. Um, and we're really good at constructing narratives around things that aren't necessarily um, aren't, aren't necessarily more than just a bit of randomness playing into um, either having an inferior field goal kicker. Um, mm-hmm. But yes, the, the Chargers are an absurd gypsy of the franchise. Um, no how much of that's going to carry along with luck. It, it didn't carry along into the AFC South with Josh Lambeau. Um, so I don't know why why, why it's different <laughs> from Rivers. Yeah, it was kind of fun to go back and watching you know, Philip Rivers like you know I don't know if you would call it tape or video or what, but then having all these like games kind of come back to memory. It's like oh yeah, this is the game where you know, this happens. And I think one of the funny ones too is that week two loss against the Lions, where on the same drive they had two touchdowns nullified by penalties. They lose thirteen ten, and then they finally get to the one you know to the red zone, and Austin Eckler fumbles trying to leap into the end zone. And then that's why they lost the Lions, you know, and they lose a 13-10 game to them. It's like they lost the game every single way that they that you could possibly could lose last year. And I think like over the course of you know, Rivers' career, it's been like that too. Remember, um, remember the the infamous Ed Hockley 
game where he he blew a backward pass dead instead of it instead of calling it a fumble. Um, Jay Cutler on the, the winning drive for for Denver. Mike Shanahan went for two to win the game. That could only happen to the Chargers. The Chargers. <laughs> They're the only franchise that could ever happen to. Um, the the thing I was talking about in the AFC Championship game where Brady throws an interception to Marlon McCree and instead of kneeling down, McCree mm-hmm. tries to return it. He gets stripped by Troy Brown. Patriots drive and win the game. Um, and, and, and if that play, that just that one play goes differently, the Chargers are in the Super Bowl and Rivers' career looks drastically different. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I'll I'm going to find that game on YouTube and go back and watch that today, probably. Because I, I don't remember that game. I, like, I remember that play, but I just don't remember the rest of that game. And then, of course, everybody remembers the game against the AFC Championship game against the Patriots, where, you know, uh, where like, Damien Tomlinson's injured, wearing the big jacket, and Rivers is out there playing the torn ACL, and it was just awful, just kind of getting, like, kind of get fed to the slaughter. Uh, but I'll need to go back and watch that one. So we have one listener question uh, this morning. And it was from at Smith Grandma, and he asked, "How good could how good could the Colts be at Rivers is bad, and then vice versa? So how uh, how good could the Colts be at Rivers is good?" Yeah. yeah. Um, if if Rivers is bad, then I think you're looking at a very similar Colts team to last year. Um, so you're looking at sort of in that seven and nine. No, they're 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 very unlikely to be one of the the worst teams in the league. Um, I will say that at FO, we try not to deal in absolutes. We, we, we try to deal in probabilities. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's entirely possible that the Colts could completely collapse if Rivers is bad and end up with the number one overall pick. It's, it's not impossible, but it's just not what we would expect. Um, we would expect, a, you know, a, a seven and nine kind of season if Rivers is bad. Um, similarly, if Rivers good, then... The floor for the Colts should be wildcard playoffs. Um, if Rivers is good, the ceiling for the Colts, well, I mean, it depends how good he is. If, if Rivers is good, if Pittman hits, if Hilton's healthy, uh, if the running game's good, if the right side of the offensive line is like it was two years ago instead of like it was last year, if Buckner makes an impact on defence, if Xavier Rhodes last year was, was a blip, then, you know, they, they could be a Super Bowl contender. Um, but I think it, it's going to require too much to go right for that to be a realistic expectation from this Colts team. Um, I do think they should be very much thinking playoffs. And once you're in the playoffs, you know, anything can happen. Um, we, we've seen playoff games where Jamal Charles got injured on the first play of the game and, um, you know, massive Colts come back and, you know, we've seen the Chiefs be winning comfortably and Travis Kills gets knocked out. Mm-hmm. And, um, you Marcus know, Marius so throws a touchdown past himself. <laughs> right. Yeah. There, there, there's all kinds of, once, see, once you're in the playoffs, anything can happen. All bets are off. Um, I wouldn't make them favourites, but that's because Kansas City and Baltimore are so far ahead of the rest of the AFC. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I don't see any predictable circumstance that has them not being at least a wildcard contender late in the season um, even if they do ultimately finish out of the postseason um, do, I, I think the floor for them is somewhere around 7 and 9 um, yeah. Even if yeah that makes sense 
I but it is the Colts though, and the most Colts thing to have happened is for somehow like everything to fall apart and they get the number one pick and they you know, draft Lawrence in the NFL draft because you know that's what the Colts get to do every year or like every like you know twenty or like you know enough times or whatever to just bridge number one yeah. overall quarterback to number one overall quarterback to number one overall quarterback. Yeah, and, and that's one of the things talked about in the chapter is is how. For when the Colts have been successful, it's off the back of those franchise quarterbacks. Um, and any season that they've not had one of those guys has has been an unsuccessful season for them. Um, whether that be with Brissett starting, whether that be you know back in the day when with Matt Hasselbeck um, starting in replace of in, in place of an injured Andrew Locke, whether that be the season that Peyton Manning missed and the, the incredible list of quarterbacks that they went through um, in that season. Um, and obviously, if you lose a player like Manning, um, then, you know, there's not many teams that are going to be able to recover from that. And mm-hmm. you just don't play that eventuality. Um, but the, this year's Colts aren't like aren't, aren't going to bottom out like that, because even if Rivers falls off a cliff, they've still got Brissett. And, and we know who Brissett is at this point. We know the floor for Brissett. Um, and we know, I think we know roughly the ceiling for Brissett as well. Um, so they're a solid team without, I, I would say, without any real standout traits. Um, and that's part of what makes them both fairly easy and quite difficult to project because they're, they're easy to say that they're not going to be great or terrible. But it's difficult to say like where they're going to fall within that sort of seven and nine, nine and mm-hmm. seven spectrum. Yeah, it's like the entire AFC South. It's like they're either probably going to go seven and nine or ten and six, and it's trying to pick between the Colts, Texans, or uh, Titans, which ones want to do so. <laughs> well, and I do, and I do think like with the Colts too. I think the Colts have the highest floor of all three of those teams. Um, and then also like even if even if Rivers is bad and like I know Rivers doesn't miss any games, but he's still thirty nine. Like I think the Colts are set up to win even with Brissett, or if Rivers isn't that great, just because of their offensive line, their rushing attack too. Um, so the second big decision they made this offseason was by trading a first round pick for Buckner and adding him and 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 giving that big extension as well too. And then about Buckner's like Buckner's their defense has one star player in Darius Leonard. Everybody else their defense is pretty good. And now with Buckner, they have a second like you know star player on their defense, and he's a he's a legitimate dif- difference maker who can control uh, offense on every snap of a game. And they didn't really have that at all until they made that decision to trade him. Like Justin Houston's great against Cameron Irving, but he's not great against Larry Tunsil anymore at his age. Um, they have some interesting pass rushers and. Ben Benagu, El Quadi Mohammed, Taekwon Lewis, but they haven't consistently produced. It's been flashes where it's kind of the Harold Landry thing where like you see this really great pass rush out of nowhere and then you don't see it for the rest of the game or for you know two or three games in the case of these three guys. Uh Nico Autry is a classic sacks being overrated guy who picked up a lot of vulture sacks, I guess, in 2017 or 2018. Never has had eight sacks at all before like that. And then Grover Stewart just kind of soaks up a lot of blocks. But I, I think with the addition of Buckner, though, they have a guy who could be like a Calais Campbell type who can lead a front um, to at least being like, you know, maybe a top 10 run defense and maybe even being an average pass rush, something they haven't really had before. Uh, so what do you what are you expecting for the impact of Buckner? Like, do you think the Colts could have a top 10 run defense this year? Do you think their pass rush could be a, above average with having a, a player like him on this defense? 
Um, I think there, that's a lot to ask of one player. Um, but Buckner's the caliber of player that you that you could reasonably ask it from. Um, he has the talent, um, and the Colts are are close enough, I think, um, to average in both of those that that he could be the thing that that pushes them over the top. Um, to me, if he lives up to, to expectations, um, he's clearly the best player on the defense. Um, and the the other the, the thing I particularly love about adding a player this good um, to a team like the Colts is he bumps everybody else mm-hmm. down one spot. So you get a guy who might be the like you know the 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 twentieth best. Um, primary edge rusher in the league but suddenly he's been bumped down to being the secondary edge rusher and now he is the second best secondary edge rusher in the league or something you know and then the guy who was the second is now the number three and and he's suddenly a really good option to have as that third rotation guy Mm -hmm. it just bumps everybody else down the 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 guy i think is the best example of that in the afc south is actually whitney merciless Mm -hmm. because when jj watts on the field merciless picks up sacks for fun but when what's not off the field, uh, not on the field, merciless isn't good enough to be that primary, the focus of the the offensive protections kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when what's on the field, the Texans have a much better pass rush from even from merciless than they get when what's off the field. Buckner can be that guy for the Colts. He can be the guy who bumps Justin Houston down into being the second option, who then. You know, it's a good second option to have. He can bump those rotational guys down into being, you know, the number three, four, and five guys who give you a really good rotational edge rush um, with the, the the impact that he has, um, the impact he has on the team. So that, from that perspective, I absolutely love the trade um, because it's not just upgrading at Buckner's position, but suddenly every other position looks that little bit stronger just because you've got the attention being directed at this one dominant guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's a great point. And I also think about they make about Buckner specifically too, um, is like in San Francisco, like his ability to use stunts and open up rushers for everybody else. And like, you can't move him in a double team at all. He's enormous. I kind of think of him as like a monster truck. He has really <laughs> long arms too. Nobody ever gets his hands on him. And he just like, I mean, he made Eric Armstead's life a lot easier last year. Uh, like Bosa kind of operate in his own being so far spread out wide, but just like over the entirety of his career, like he's never had the high sack numbers, like the double digit ones, but he always has been able to open up everything for everyone else. And so like with this Colts passing rush, like you're talking about, like just him soaking up the guard and center. Now, you know, Justin Houston has a shorter path to the quarterback and doesn't have to rush as like a wide seven. He can be a five, you know, or by him, by him cutting down to the inside, now you have Autry, you know, one versus one against uh, like a really bad guard that you can pick your matchup with. And so I do think he's the type of player who can elevate everybody else, kind of like what Campbell did whenever he went to Jacksonville and, you know, even during yeah. his time in Arizona as well, too. And like, I know like it's it's a weird comparison to make just because they don't have the same sack numbers and the production isn't the same. But I do think like Buckner could like is like a similar caliber player as that. He just has been used differently. And I, I either think. The other thing I think is really interesting about Campbell in Indianapolis is Everfliss is a really great defensive coordinator. And so I'm kind of wondering if they're going to play him a defensive end at all. You know, he has the quickness and he has the bull rush where, like, I think he could walk, you know, um, 
somebody like like Dennis Kelly in Tennessee whenever he starts to right tackle. Like he has the strength to be able to walk him right into the quarterback, you know. And so I'm kind of I'm really interested to see how they're going to use Buckner this year in this defense. I think Campbell's a good comp, um, a good comparison there. Um, the, the the impact he had when he went to Jacksonville because he can play that inside spot. He can play on the nose when you're in a pass rush situation. He can play um, on the outside when um, you're either on a running down or when you're just trying to manipulate those matchups, get him on your backup tackle, um, whether that be your Dennis Kelly. Um, and and that that sort of versatility means you're able to dictate more to the offense about where they can go, um, where they can set their protections, which then leaves some of those those secondary options. We've we've seen how effective somebody like Kenny Moore can be. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so you've you've got those options then with with some of these additional rushers that they have. Um, it really really opens up packages and um, play calling for the for the defensive coordinator. So I, I'm excited to see it. Um, having seen the impact of Calais Campbell, um, I, I don't know that. I, I think expecting him to be Calais Campbell might be kind of over over selling it a little bit. Um, at least initially, because I think Campbell had a lot more other talent, like established talent around him. Mm-hmm. Guys like Akwe, um, I, I placed that those guys ahead of um, the likes of Bonogu. Um, but there's certainly no reason that, that he couldn't have that sort of role in the defense. And then you're then you're looking for some of those younger guys to step up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and even like with Campbell too. Um, whenever you play in Arizona, like he was a JJ Watt ish caliber player. Yeah. Like if Watt wasn't around, like Campbell would probably be one of the faces of the NFL you know, during those early 2010s. But you know Watt soaked up all that you know, defensive and airtime you know by being like a transcendent <laughs> player during that portion of his career. So like with the Colts, like with the addition of of uh, Buckner, who do you think is gonna like of all these kind of like guys who have flashed in their pass rush? Who do you think has the best chance of having a breakout and really breakout 2020 season? Um, I'm going to have to to go with the, the football outsiders choice here. Um, our um, we have a projection system for uh, college edge rushers that we call mm-hmm. um, here. Um and it, it considers things like college production, athleticism, um, draft round, variety of different bits. 2019, our sleeper pick or one of our sleeper picks there was, was Ben Bonogo. Um, I, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Sorry to him if I'm not. It sounds good. Um, <laughs> but um, the, the, we, we projected him um, to be um, a sleeper pick there. The, the slight caution there is we expected him to be a fifth-round pick because that's what he was widely being projected as ahead of that draft, and he ended up obviously going in the second round. Um so he's probably less of a sleeper than than we expected him to be, but um, based on our projections, he's the guy. Um, he had a, out of that entire um, that entire article, and you can find the article on the site if you're interested to, to read more. And um, it's Saxier 2019. Um, he had the highest explosion index, which is kind of our, our number that combines 40 time vertical and broad jump. Um, into a kind of athleticism measure um, and 
you know, two and a half sacks in 300 snaps in his in his rookie season. Um, if if we see that playing time increase, which we, we're certainly hoping to see, um, then we're hoping that we we projected him for 12 sacks. I think across his first three years, 12 and a half sacks. Mm-hmm. Um, so so he's on course, and, and I think he's the guy I would pick as as our favourite um, to make that step up. Yeah, and I I can see that as well too. Like you mentioned, the athleticism, and like even go back to his time as T- at TCU, like he's really good at at like looping. You know, so like if I think in those like TE stunts, you could see him like you know Buckner crashing up and still give two lo- two blocks, and him looping can really tie pick up sacks like that. And I do think he'll have the best impact, not necessarily just winning one versus one matchups on his own entirely, but just by having Buckner there and being able to clean stuff up and have Buckner be able to create for him. I think yeah. uh, Bonogo's in a really good spot to be able to do that. And also, like, you're looking at a guy who maybe is going to be a rotational, you know, third edge rusher for them um, for a lot of the season with, you know, Al-Quinn Muhammad starting at the other edge position. And so, like, whenever you have a guy who's rushing, you know, 20 times a game, that's all he's doing, he's able to be fresh and go up against tired tackles and tired quarterbacks and be able to just edge rush over and over again if that's required instead of, you know, being exhausted and having to, you know, maybe give up a play here and there. Uh, to be able to last for the entirety of a drive, you know. Yeah, that's kind of your Dante Fowler uh, again to to go with Jacksonville and, mm-hmm. and that Jacksonville edge rush. That that's your Dante Fowler role, what being able to um to come in against tackles and the rotation and and just pin your ears back and go up quarterback. Um, it's an exciting position to be in. Um, I think we've seen. Muhammad um, had something like 620 snaps last season. I, th- I think that's a good that gives us a good impression of what type of player he is at this point. Whereas somebody like Benogu, who's um, who's coming in hoping that his snap count is going to increase, you hope the production is going to increase along with that. Um, mm-hmm. So there's a bit opportunity there for the upside, I think. Mm-hmm. So the Colts offensive line, they are returning all five stars again this year. Um, the Texans have put. I guess by my count, one, three, four, four second round picks into it. Uh, two, well, let's see. So that's Nick Martin, one for Laramie Tunsil, one for Max Sharping. So that's three second round picks, two for Laramie, two first round picks, one Titus Howard, uh, and then I guess three first round picks. And they signed Zach Fulton, of course. So you're looking at, like, they invested a ton of, you know, re- uh, resources into their offensive line. The Titans have, you know, one of the best sides in the NFL with Taylor Lewan and Roger Saffold. Ben Jones is a very good center. Their right side is kind of in flux, but Nate Davis is is interesting, especially getting another year in an outside zone scheme. And they have Kelly. And the Jaguars, I think, have a really bad interior. Their tackles are interesting. Like, I like Juwan Taylor a lot, but I think Cam Robinson's been kind of disappointing, though. But like, it's it's a it's a division of, like four, like at least you know, average to really good offensive lines. Uh, do you think the Colts have the best offensive line in this division? Um, I think certainly by reputation um, and by um, what we've seen of the, the performance of them, you, you would have to say that they do. Um, the Texans are going to be interesting. We um, When we're kind of looking at offensive lines and, and what we expect from offenses out of, for the coming season, we um, we look at continuity on the offensive line as being one of the, the important factors, the important predictors of success. Um, so obviously the, the Texans don't have as much of that. 
um, as some of the some of these other guys, um, even in in Tennessee, everybody was there last year. Not everybody mm-hmm. was starting, um, but everybody was there last year. So the continuity is there, even though they they've lost the right the right tackle. Um, Nate Davis wasn't great last season. Um, Dennis Kelly has always been a reliable kind of first option off the bench swing tackle. Um, who might be slightly overpromoted um, to to be your starting right tackle, but he's done that before um, filling in for for injuries. So um, I would say the Colts are most likely to have a good offensive line. Um, I think when you mentioned Jacksonville, you're underselling Brandon Linder a bit. Um, I would say he's one of, he's one of the very best centers in the league. Um, yeah, he's a great he, zone blocking center. Yeah, um, so. Um, it's just whether you can sort out the guards. And guard, in theory, is supposed to be the easiest position on the line to sort out. You, you can kind of make do with an adequate guard. Um, and on the Colts, that, that's Mark Lewinsky. Um, you know, he, he is a competent starter. You know, average average guard, good good guy to have in your lineup. Not a difference-making player, but sometimes from guard you don't want a difference-making player because a difference-making player is making a difference in the wrong way. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I, w- I would say the Colts. What What's important for the Colts this season is getting um, Glowinski and Braden Smith back to, to where they were a couple of mm-hmm. years ago rather than where they were last season. And I think a big part of that's going to be who they're playing against. Um because last season they had a really, really, really tough slate of opponents. A couple of years ago, I think the, the toughest edge rusher they went against was Demarcus Lawrence. Whereas last year they had TJ Watt, they had Cam Jordan, they had Shaq Barrett, they had Joey Boza and Melvin Ingram, and they had Von Miller. And and that's going to make any any offensive line look yeah. worse than it normally would. Um, so they, they blew a lot of blocks, but they were up against a lot of really, really good players. Um, if, if they if they land somewhere in between, then I think they'll be perfectly fine. And the strength of the, the offensive line is going to be the left side. Um, but yeah, I, I would say the Colts should be the should be the best. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. And I've really really like I was really taken back by how good Braden was his rookie year after playing guard at Auburn, and like he locked down JJ Watt, you know, his rookie season. And last year he kind of dropped off. And like Lewis, he's fine. I do think also like his. His punch wasn't as good. He was turning a little bit a lot too, and uh, he like wasn't stonewalling guys whenever he made contact, which was and like his punch time was really great his rookie year. I think it's I hope I really like watching him play. I think it's like you mentioned he played against a lot of tougher players, and I think he'll bounce back. You know his third year as well too. Um, so the Colts also this draft they added two players on the offense in the second round. They had Jonathan Taylor, the running back from Wisconsin. Um, who football outsiders absolutely love. So their backs here, cat, uh, yeah. projection system yeah. and kind of like sacks here, but just for running backs. And I'm sure you'll talk about that. And then they also drafted Michael Pittman and Michael Pittman from USC is a six foot four, you know, wide receiver. And I know we kind of talked about how the Colts don't have that same sort of players at the wide receiver position that the chart that Philip Rivers had in Los Angeles, but with it by drafting Pittman, they have that it's just hard for, rookies to be really great at the wide receiver position their first year like dk metcalf and aj brown are the exceptions it usually isn't so like year two you see wide receivers kind of really take off um so who do you think is going to have a bigger impact in 2020 for the colts do you think it's gonna be jonathan taylor or michael pittman um i i would go with i would go with pittman there um 
I've already mentioned I absolutely love the fit of Pittman with Rivers. Um, I think he's got he's got everything that, that you would want um, that guy to have. He's got the height, he's got the wingspan, he's got the ability to make the contested catches, he's got what you know the the catch radius. I don't I don't know how common. Um, a term that is for you to hear, but you know the ability to make those catches that are well away from his body as well. Um, go up and get the ball, go down and get the ball. Um, he um, he has that toughness about him. He'll make those catches in traffic. Um, I also see a clear path to to a start role for him in a way that I think Taylor's going to start out backing up Marlon Mack um, and. You know what? For a running a running back who is the second option on the depth chart, is going to get eighty to hundred carries, I would say, in a season. And somebody of Taylor's talent certainly can, can make a lot of those. But I think there's a clearer path to a starting role for Pittman. There's a clearer path to being a key part of the offense for Pittman. Um, and if if he can be the player that I hope he can be, um, then. Then certainly um, he's the guy I, I would expect to make the bigger impact of the two. Um, mm-hmm. But that, that's not to say that Taylor's not going to be a very good player. He looks like a very very good player. Um, I just see, as I say, starting wide receiving this offense um, is is a step ahead of being the backup running back. Yeah, and especially considering like Pittman's the exact type of wide receiver that. Philip Rivers loves those like skinny posts and those corner routes and like anything he can just kind of like just throw something up and I love Miss Snagit as well too. Um, so defensively, to quote you from the FOA chapter you wrote, uh, you said about the Colts that defense fits the story of the 2020 Colts projection, a team that has made enough improvements and should benefit from enough positive regression, sleep all the way from average across the board to well slightly above average across the board. So the the Colts defense. Like I, I think I was really surprised by how good they were in 2018. Everybody's expecting them to be like a bottom half one. Then after like week three, it's like, wait a second, Darius Leonard's, you know, absolutely great. This is actually a good defense, and they were a fringe top ten one last year. Like you wrote, they dropped to average. Um, do you see a path at all for the Colts defense to be maybe like a top ten one? And do you think like above average is good enough for the Colts to be a, a playoff team this year? Um, the path to a top 10 defense is, is what we've already talked about with Buckner. Buckner comes in, makes a massive impact. He um, bumps everybody else down one spot in the pass rush, which means those other guys are able to be more productive for, for playing alongside Buckner. We find out that Xavier Rhodes didn't actually fall off a cliff last season, that he just had a down year, um, that the rest of the secondary is, is fine that the linebacker core is healthy and as talented as they already are. Um, I, I don't think many people outside perhaps Indianapolis realise just how good the, the linebacker core is um, in terms of it being three deep. It's not mm-hmm. just Derek, who, who's an outstanding player, all three, um, Leonard um, and Okereke, um, the, the, they're all really good players. Um, so that that's one of the best linebacker cores, I would say, in the league, um, Anthony Walker as well. So um, that's that's the path to it, is the, the improved pass rush. Um, the coverage doesn't actually need to improve that much. They, they, they were perfectly adequate. TJ Carey is a, is a league average corner. Um, he's not going to be the guy who elevates your defense. 
he's probably not going to be the guy who burns down your defence either. Um, linebacker, I, I always kind of compare to having, like it's like having great air conditioning in your car. You know, mm-hmm. it makes the ride more enjoyable. You'll notice if it's not working right, but it's not why you buy the thing. Um, it's not going to be the difference between you winning the Indy 500 and you failing to get out your driveway. Um, so maybe, maybe in Texas is a little bit different. <laughs> maybe in Texas it's a bit different. I live in Scotland. We don't tend to have um, have problems there. Um, but I but, guess in Texas you can call it uh, the analogy would be like a stereo system, you know? Yeah, sure. It, it's that that <laughs> kind of idea of you'll know when it's not working. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, you when you've got a bad linebacker core, you know about it. You end up being the Giants. Um, when you've got a great linebacker core, you know, you think somebody like the Carolina Panthers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, um, it, it's impactful. Um, you notice it, but it's not the difference between a team being, you know, twelve and four and six and ten. Um, it's just not that important. Um, so. That's the path. Um, if they're a top 10 defense, then it's probably because Buckner's made that big impact. Is above average good enough in the AFC South? I think the Tennessee Titans have proven that it is enough to be, a, a, you know, the, the Titans. The Colts now are the Titans two years ago, um, where they're fairly good at everything. Mm-hmm. There's not no weaknesses on the roster, but there's also not that clear and obvious strength. There's not something that you look at and say, if they're going to go deep in the playoffs, that's how it's going to happen. Um, so, I, I, you know, it, it's been good enough for the Titans. I think it's good enough for the Texans. Um, and it should be it should be good enough for the Colts. I, I really don't expect to see the Colts outside the playoffs. I think they this division could easily send three teams to the playoffs all at nine and seven. Yeah. Um, and I think the, the floor for the Colts, as long as Rivers' arm hasn't fallen off, the floor for the Colts is sort of seven and nine, eight and eight, which is still wildcard picture, even if they might not actually get there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do. I do kind of think for this division, the best offseason move for all the for all three of the top uh, for the three top teams in this division was the seventh. A seed addition, you know, it kind of opened the door for all sure. three teams to make the playoffs at nine and seven. Uh, and so I could definitely see that occurring. So the Colts secondary, they like you mentioned, they signed Xavier Rhodes. They have Rocky Sin, who's a great body, but like you know, struggled times on deeper routes and held some stuff. Um, they have Kenny Moore at slot, and like him blitzing from the slots, one of my favorite things in the league to watch, and really one of the most underrated things that you don't see a whole lot of. Um, <laughs> like you mentioned earlier in email to me that Marvin Tevel or Marvin Tell is going to sit out because of COVID as well too. But in the safety position, they replaced Clayton Gathers, but they have Malik Hooker there and they used a top 10 pick on Hooker and Hooker, like his college tape in Ohio state, like he had the range kind of like an Earl Thomas type where he can go from the center of the field at, or like the opposite hash, to the sideline make plays with the ball. And there in Indianapolis, he hasn't had like a really great season yet. He's had some flashes and like, I think everybody kind of, when you think of Hooker, you think that one-hand interception he had against the Chargers last year in the end zone that kind of pushed that game to overtime. But like over the course of a year, he hasn't had that same sort of impact that he's expecting to have. Like, do you think this is the year Hooker finally has a great season um, in Indianapolis with kind of like a, a more substantial amount of cornerback talent around him? 
Um, I would say no, um, because for for two reasons. One is because I don't think the scheme that Eberflus plays is really looking for that type of impact from a safety. Okay. Like the, the Seattle cover three stressed Earl Thomas and, and made him relied on his talent to be that great player or the way that Eric Weddle was in San Diego or the way that um, Ed Reed was for the Ravens. Um, and the other is, I think if we were going to see that from Hooker, we would have seen it already. Um, most of the time, by the time somebody's getting to their fourth year in the league, you've got a fairly good idea of what type of pro they're going to be. And I think for Hooker, we've got that idea of what type of pro he's going to be. He's a good safety. Um, he hasn't been a massive difference maker. Part of that, as I say, is because that's not what Eberflus has really asked of him. Um, I really, really liked him as a rookie. Um, and I still like him. I th- he's still a good player. Um, but I don't, I don't see him becoming that kind of Kevin Bayard, for example, where you know he's picking up a ridiculous interception total and forcing fumbles and making an impact on on every other drive or anything. Um, but he's going to be a good player, and, and I think he's going to be a good player for a long, long time. And there's a lot of value in that. Um, and that for a first round pick, you're either wanting somebody who's going to be absolutely dominant. Or you're wanting somebody who's going to be a good player for a long, long time, and I think I certainly think the Colts have got that in Hooker. Okay, yeah, and like going back and watching him last year too, I think one of his problems is that he doesn't put his body in the right spot to make plays, and so it's just I just think his positioning is just kind of off, you know. Or like if he if he has the deep middle of the field, he doesn't pick up the post like early enough, or his body's not in the right spot um, whenever that route breaks, and he's over here standing over the the nine route towards the sideline. And then now he's chasing all the way back over, making tackles instead of being able to make plays in the ball. And so I do think like his body positioning catches up to like his talent. Like he's just in the right, and his brain puts him in the right spot more often. I could see him like, because I mean the flashes are there. Like he has some tremendous flashes, yeah. and so that's one of the things that I'm I'm hopeful for. Um, because I did like his video a lot, his his rookie year. Um, like you mentioned as well too. So I had, I had four quick quick questions, quick thoughts, and this is kind of like rapid fire for you. Um, the first sure. one is. Will Philip Rivers finish in the top 10 in passing DVOA? Uh, top 12, sure. Top 10, um, I give him 50-50 on the top 10 because I think his range of likely outcomes is somewhere between 9 and 12. Um, so 10 is obviously right slap bang in the middle of that. Um, I think he'll be top top 12, which is top third of the league. So that's, um, make of that what you will. Okay. Uh, what will, what's going to be the Colts' one possession record? Um, win more than they lose, but one possession games, as, as I've already said, they're, they're, they're largely a coin flip. Um, I think they have the talent to not make the stupid mistakes and to not lose, to not throw away possession games. And sometimes with one possession games, not throwing them away is actually as valuable as making the place to win it. Mm-hmm. So if, if we assume T.Y. Hilton is going to finish first on the team in receptions, who's going to finish second on the team in receptions? <laughs> I'm glad you phrased that question that way, because if you'd asked me who finished second, I'd probably have said T.Y. Hilton. Um, no, um, the I, I, as I've already said, I'm a, a massive fan of Michael Pittman. Um, I think among the wide receivers, um, I would have him finishing second um, and Zach Pascal third. Um, but I think if if Pittman picks up 
the way that I hope Pittman picks up, I think we could be in for a really exciting rookie year there. Okay. And do you think Frank Reich is a good head coach? Good, but not great. Yes. Yeah, he's good at getting um, getting what his players have out of his out of his players. I don't think he's really shown the ability to elevate players to get things that that you wouldn't have realised that they have. Um, the work he did with Andrew Luck was very good, but Andrew Luck was widely considered the best prospect uh, quarterback prospect since since Elway. That was kind of his tagline for a long time. Um, and I think with with somebody like Luck, he refined what was already there. Um, and he's done that with Brissett, um, and I think he'll do much the same thing with Rivers. But I don't think he's the kind of difference maker of somebody like a John Harbaugh, um, even even you know staying away from like Belichick, arguably the greatest coach of all time. Um, I don't think he's somebody like a John Harbaugh or an Andy Reid who's going to make a guy who's who's a bad player suddenly look like he's a good player. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I wonder like I kind of, I agree that Reich as well too. It was just kind of weird two years ago he became like what everybody says like one of the best coaches in the league and this and that is like I don't I don't buy that. And then he also makes some really bizarre decisions here and there too, where you have no idea what he's trying to do at all sometimes, and he can be kind of baffling as well. Um, so I'm happy to hear that because whenever you listen to that, like you're I guess you're kind of member of the national media, but whenever you like watch ESPN, he has this uh I guess reputation of being you know one of the best coaches in the league. I just don't don't fully see that. Uh, so the last question I have here for you is, what's your prediction for the Colts' final record? And then also, how do you think the entirety of the AFC South shakes up? Um, I've mentioned frequently throughout throughout um, our conversation, I think the Colts are going to be 9-7. and seven. Um, I think the Colts are going to be 9-7. and seven. I think Texans are going to be either 9-7 and seven or 10-6. and six. Um, And I think the Titans have kind of established that they are 9-7, and seven. Um, no matter what their end-of-season record actually is. I think they're nine and seven. Um, so I, I see the Texans as division champions, um, possibly at nine and seven based on some of those tiebreakers, possibly at ten and six. Colts and Titans both on nine and seven, um, well within that wild card race. Um, and then Jacksonville. I think it's going to be a difficult season in Jacksonville. I don't. I don't think they're one of the worst teams in the league. I don't think they're one of the worst offenses in the league. I don't think they're one of the worst defenses in the league. But I do think that the sum of those parts is going to have them kind of on that bottom end, kind of their their traditional spot of top 10 in the draft. Um, So somewhere sort of around 5 and 11, um, pushing, pulling up the rest of the table. Yeah, yeah, I had my 5 and 11. Yeah, I'm kind of like, it's nice to, in some ways, to have the same, like, high in results, because I think I have all three teams at 9-7, the Jags at 5-11. and 11. Uh, But, you know, you have to try to be original, I guess. Indivi- individuality <laughs> is what makes man what he is. And uh, and so at the same time, you know, I'm kind of disheartened to hear we have the exact same opinion on this division. I will say about Houston, you know, they they do have that high one-possession record till 9-3 last year. but the And then they have the best player in the division, Watson. I think the main reason why I think Houston's going to win the division is because they have a great run defense and all these teams are going to want to run the football a lot. And like, that's been the one thing that's kind of like, aside from Watson and things that's really saved them in this division over the course of years and why they keep winning it is they have such a great run defense, you know, and they're able to control Henry and Fournette 
and the Colts and the Colts rushing attack as well. And then when enough close games kind of fill in the blanks from there too. And so because of Watson, because of that, even though everything else, I, they shouldn't win the division. I think they probably will just because of that factor in addition to Watson. Yeah. Um, I, I tend to, when, when making those kind of projections go with the, the best quarterback in the division is going to be the, the guy who wins the division. Um, mm-hmm. And that's, even with Rivers coming in, that's currently Deshaun Watson. I think they've got the, the best quarterback in the division. I think they've got the best individual defensive player in the division um, in J.J. Watt. Um, I think they've got the worst general manager in the division, who just unfortunately happens to be their <laughs> head coach. Um, so, um, and and I, I, you know, when when Brian and I write scramble for the ball, we're we're always trying to find points of disagreement because we we kind of joke that we've got access to universal football truth because we agree so much. Um, that um, I, I asserted Bill O'Brien might be the worst coach in the division, um, like the worst head coach. Um, he he disagreed with that, um, but I actually th- I think this is generally quite a well coached division. Um, and that's part of why I think all of the teams are likely to be in that wildcard hunt other than Jacksonville. I think Jacksonville is just a sheer lack of roster talent. They've just shed so many good yeah. players the past two years. But if you give a decent coach or a solid coach a decent roster, then you're going to get a solid team. Um, that's you know, Even Mike Malarkey was that in Tennessee. Um, Mike Brable's been that in Tennessee. Frank Reich's been that in Indianapolis. Um, I don't see any reason to expect any different. Um, mm-hmm. That's kind of the established pattern is they're in that 10 and 6, 9 and 7 bracket. And which, which order they finish within that, I don't think ultimately really matters. I don't think any of them is especially well set up for postseason success. But it's going to be a competitive division. Um, mm-hmm. It's three good teams in Jacksonville. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way to put it. Well, it's also funny, too. It's like uh, the the AFC South isn't a great division. It's like a barely good division, but it's always fun and it's always interesting. And yeah. uh, this year is no different than that, too. So, Andrew, where can we read you? Where can we follow you? Um, this, I know I, I personally like to read the Scramble for the Ball like awards. The Keep Chopping Woods Award is always a lot of fun. And the Over-Unders have been a lot of fun to read this offseason. So how can we keep up to to all your work? If there is, of course, we're offering the fact that they're going to play 16 football games this year and uh, they're somehow going to make it work, you know? Well, that's that's the overriding question, isn't it? It's kind of one of those we, we carry on in the hope and the expectation that they will. I'm quite excited about the, the idea that... Um, after next week, there won't be another Thursday without football um, until the end of January. Uh, no, sorry, until January. Um, so quite excited about that. But, you know, that's all kind of COVID permitting. Um, for me, over the course of this season, you've already mentioned, I primarily write Scramble for the Ball for Football Outsiders. Um, that's at footballoutsiders.com. Um, I write that with a guy called Brian Knowles, who is a 49ers fan, long-suffering 49ers fan, who is currently on something of a high. I also do a couple of other bits on Football Outsiders. I do the, the weekly kind of injury roundup, um, and I do audibles at the line. And there's an occasional other article there as well. Um, other than that, um, I'm currently studying university, so you know. 
Football Outsiders is really the only football writing that I'm doing at the moment. But, of course, you've already mentioned our almanac, which is still available in paper copy from Amazon and uh, in digital copy from footballoutsiders.com. You get access to over 500 pages of stats, analysis, humorous writing, people who are much better writers than I am, people who are much better speakers than I am, people who know a lot more than I do. Um, and then you get a couple of chapters of me as well. So <laughs> make of that what you will. Um, but uh, that's... We, we quite regularly have columns on ESPN as well. Um, I, we have traditionally done some bits and pieces involving players for Madden Ultimate Team. Um, so that's all. You'll find out all, all about that stuff at footballoutsiders.com. Great. Yeah, and if you haven't got the FOA, just get it. You know, you can't you can't do the things that you usually do, but you can always like go outside on your phone and drink 12 beers and read the football at Cyrus Almanac. And it's a great way to get ready for the NFL season because there is an, another way to really kind of appreciate it like you typically do with preseason games and everything else. And I can't recommend it enough. Um, but thanks, thank you for being on Ballard Radio today, Andrew. And it was nice talking to you this morning. The sun's finally up. I guess that means it's time for the show to end. Um, but I'll, I'm excited to read your stuff this season if there is a season as we expect it to be. And uh, and until next time, I'm Matt Weston. Thank you for listening to Bellwood Radio. And thank you for being on today, Andrew. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Good talk to you.